and trustworthiness. And so here is, again, Exodus 34, 6-7. It says, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. There it is. This is actually God's own self-revealed revelation to Moses about who he is. And there it is. Faithfulness. That's who God is. It is the core biblical understanding of who God is, among other attributes. He is faithful. He has loyal love towards us. This is what God wants to know of himself, us to know of himself. He is loyal in love, and he's faithful to us. Now let's get into a little Hebrew here. The Hebrew word for faithfulness is a met or a mula, depending on the grammar. But the word is translated in different words in English. So a met can also mean truthful. God is trustworthy because he is always truthful. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? So that's why it's a related word. When the same word is turned up, uh, turned into English, uh, you get words like trust or faith, um, or you could say trusting or faithing. Okay, that type of word. Trust and faith are, of course, super important words in the Christian faith and uh, wonderful concepts. Just as God is faithful and truthful, it calls upon us to be like Him, to be faithful and to be truthful. And so trustworthiness and faithfulness is really another way of describing the Christian faith, right? So when we say they are people of faith, we're saying they're people of integrity. They're always trusting God. Now before we talk about our faithfulness, let's, let's take a look at several verses where this Hebrew word amet is, uh, shows up here. Just to show you how in the English language it's just used in different ways. So here we go. Uh, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness, there it is again, emet to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. This is Psalm 36, 5 to 6. So this speaks of the height and depths of God's faithfulness. He has no limits. Next passage. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Again, it's the same word. Emet, Psalm 19.7. As we said earlier, emet is sometimes translated truthful. So this is the case in the use of the word in this verse. Like sure, which is like a testimony in the court of law. It is always going to be sure. It's always going to be trustworthy. And so you can always trust God to be sure in his words. Uh, Psalm 41, 13. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, ever, uh, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And actually, the word is, again, amet and amet, right? So the exact same word is now translated in English, amen and amen. And I suppose you can say the prayer ends with this agreement to say, it is true, it is true, I agree. God is always trustworthy, he is true. Okay, so next time you say amen, there's a new understanding of what it means. I am certain 
of the trustworthiness of God. And so I say, amen, amen. God, you are trustworthy. So there you go. Amen, translated in different words and different verses, faithfulness, sure, and amen. All words having to do with the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of God. Now, we just don't learn about the faithfulness of God through a few random verses or from a theology book. How you most learn about it is the story of God's faithfulness to Israel, which is basically most of our Bibles, right? It's a story, story of God in Israel. And his faithfulness is revealed in so many different ways. Um, A couple verses for you. Deuteronomy, first of all. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, and just is he. And then in Psalm 33, 34, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Now, I mean, that's just a sample. And these verses come from the Psalms and other places in the Old Testament. And they are prayers, they are songs of the Israelites. This is their written testimony. This is their story. And so they are your spiritual ancestors. And we would be wise to listen to their song and to their testimony because they're talking about a real experience that they have had. So, you know, if you have the opportunity to talk to them and maybe come alongside them, you might want to ask them this question. Excuse me, how do you know that? Because we wonder that sometimes, right? You sing about it, but then you have to ask yourself, how do you know that, people of Israel? What do you mean that God is your rock? I mean, God's not really a rock, but what do you mean that God is a rock? How can you be sure that God is faithful? So just picture yourself, maybe around a campfire, and you're going to talk to some of these ancient people. What would they say to you? Well, you know that many of us have great difficulties trusting people because you've been hurt, right? You've been hurt greatly. And this could include us as individuals. Uh, Sometimes whole families are wounded and hurt. Uh, Sometimes it's people groups, a whole society of people, nations who have experienced rejection, a lack of love, uh, racism, And so they struggle to trust as they live in this world. And so you can ask the people of Israel, how can you declare that God is your rock? How can you declare that God is faithful to you? Because this is how I feel right now. I feel rejected. And maybe like a hermit crab. You know a hermit crab? What do you do? You poke him? What happens? He runs back into his shell again. And maybe we feel that way, right? People who have been wounded, they have a hard time trusting like a hermit crab. They're just going to draw right back in again. So if you would ask these people, 
I would imagine one or two of them would kind of say to you, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you our story. And they would tell you the great story of the Exodus. It says we were slaves for 400 years. And then the great Exodus came. And they would connect that all the way back to Abraham. And they would bring it back to Egypt again and say to, to you, God knew that would happen. And yet God freed us from the Egyptians. Just as God promised Abraham's descendants that he would become, or they would become this great nation and come out of Egypt. At that time, you know, no one knew what was being talked about. Abraham's going, okay, Lord, I trust you, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Right? And you think about God's justice. He brought justice upon Egypt because they were slaves who took, uh, they took advantage of them. This is economic exploitation at the, you know, high-end degree. With signs and wonders, God parted the Red Sea, showing his faithful love to his people. And then they would say, you know what, we ended up in the wilderness, and we're not proud of our behavior. We were stubborn, we were stiff-necked, we were complaining, but guess what? God fed us manna from heaven. God tapped on the rock, or Moses did, and we were watered, and we were not thirsty. He kept us safe from our enemies, and they would tell you story after story after story after story. And they would say to you, my friends, this is why we choose to sing these songs. This is why we have written these psalms, because even though we were unfaithful again and again, God showed his faithfulness to us. Will you sing with us? Because we believe it to be true. And I know if you trust him, you will experience his faithfulness too. And so all the psalms that speak of God's faithfulness are written and sung because God has proven it all throughout Israel's history. That is why we have the psalms. A book of songs that declare that God is their rock, our rock. He is their good and faithful God, our good and faithful God, all the way back to Moses, to Abraham, of course to King David who wrote so many of these psalms himself. So these are psalms etched out of the history, the experience of God's people. And there's, they're incredibly important because, as I mentioned before, these are people who were often rebellious. And they suffered God's judgment because of their sin. But God was still their rock. And some who were faithful to God appealed to the faithfulness of God. They're holed up in Babylon, folks. And the righteous began to plead with their God their God of faithfulness, to be faithful to them, to bring restoration to them, even in their time of exile. God did promise that a remnant of Israel, a faithful servant, would come and lead them out of the exile. They didn't quite probably understand this, but they were probably thinking of a political king of some kind. But one of the greatest hymns ever written is 
great is thy faithfulness. Did you know that, you know, this hymn, it actually comes right out of uh, Lamentations. Lamentations. Here, let me look it up for you there. Lamentations 3.23. And this is important because Lamentations was written by Jeremiah during the worst part of Israel's history. Stuck in exile. I mean, the temple was burnt. Jerusalem was ruined. God's people were in exile because of their unfaithfulness to God. But here at the center of Lamentations, Jeremiah says these words, Because of the great love, Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. There I will wait for him. So there it is, right? In the middle of this exile, God's people are calling out to God's faithfulness. As we move forward, we recognize that Jesus is the faithful one. And he is the fulfillment of God's promise long ago. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we celebrate the coming of Jesus to earth, God in human flesh. But we are really celebrating God's faithfulness and Jesus as his faithful servant. So when you turn to Matthew chapter 1, um, it includes a genealogy. Uh, it's hard devotional material, I have to admit, but it's good material. A list of names, both good and the bad, but otherwise, most of it is the unfaithful history of Israel's story, 14 generations. And in fact, it's not the kind of genealogy that you would really want to be associated with, right? You're not going to jump and say, whoa, I'm connected to this family because, well, this family is just not a family that you're really proud of. Most of you want to be from good stock. Am I right? It'd be really nice, you know, if you're related to this famous person or that famous person. Um, apparently, on Cyril's side of his family, they're somehow connected to John Denver, and they're proud of it. <laughs> Just kidding. But they are. They are connected to John Denver. We want to be associated with the successful people. You know, back, in, back when I lived in Japan, I, I was curious, and so I asked some of my Japanese friends, because I thought they might know better something about my name. He says, you know, my name, Ikenoe, uh, what do you think? Does that name have any significance in Japanese history? A long pause. Then they smiled and said, well, Dan, I think it sounds like a peasant. I go, oh, man. <laughs> you know, if I was a Honda or a Kawasaki, I'd be something in Japan. But no, I'm an Ikenoe, right? Peasant background. Ouch. I'm just an Ikenoe. But what Matthew does is quite amazing because he calls this genealogy the genealogy of Jesus. The son of David. The son of Abraham. Apparently, God is not embarrassed to send his son Jesus to earth and to be part of a family tree 
and to be human just like us. He is not ashamed at all. Why is this? When God's angel announced to Joseph and Mary that she would conceive a son, he told him that this was the fulfillment. I'm sorry about my turn down the volume here. He told him that this was the fulfillment of what the Lord told the prophet Isaiah long ago. The angel said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us, which is basically an echo of Isaiah 7, 6 that was read for us this morning. Later in Isaiah 42, 1-4, the Emmanuel is most often called God's servant. God, God's chosen one would be faithful and bringing restoration and justice and hope. Then God announced from heaven when Jesus was baptized, going fast forward here, he said, this is my chosen one in whom I delight, which comes straight out of the same passage, Isaiah 42.1. So what does this mean? It means that God is fulfilling his promise. He is showing himself to be a God you can trust. He is faithful. It means God is faithful even to the unfaithful. He is showing to us and to the world that God in Jesus Christ is the faithful one whom you can really trust. He doesn't break his promises. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless... He remains faithful. In other words, of all people, we can count on God through Jesus Christ. Well, we're still actually talking about our faithfulness too. The fruit of faithfulness. In fact, we are called to be faithful servants, trustworthy servants, well on earth before Jesus returns. So Matthew 25 is a parable that you probably might know. It's called the parable of the bags of gold um, or the parable of the talents or the three servants. And so the story goes, the master entrusts his three workers, his wealth, three different servants, And each one is given wealth according to their own ability. So one was given five bags of gold, another uh, two, and the last servant, one bag of gold. The master returns from the journey, and he's pleased to discover that the servant who was given five bags of gold and two bags of gold doubled their master's wealth, right? So they were good investors, To both of these servants, he said, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. But the master found that the servant who was given the one bag of gold 
simply buried his master's treasure and wealth in fear, it says in the passage. And so the master was displeased with the servant and gave his gold away to the servant who doubled it from five to ten. Well, I think the message is very clear here. God has graciously given us abilities and gifts. Furthermore, God was faithful to us through the gift of Jesus, the faithful one, and he gives us the Holy Spirit for us to live in him so that we'll be his witnesses in the world so that the world may know him. We're all given different abilities and spiritual gifts to serve Jesus well on earth. And we are not all the same, which is good, right? We're all different. But when Jesus returns to the earth for the second time, the question is, will he find faithful people? That's really the question of this parable, right? Will he find faithful servants? Or will he find servants who live in fear and insecurity and have done nothing? Faithful servants of Jesus accept what God gives us and we faithfully serve him to the very end. So it's something that all of us need to pray about and ask ourselves. Am I taking and receiving all the gifts that God has given me? And am I using those gifts to serve him, to really serve him? Or is it all about my own interests? So, I mean, we can go a lot of directions here, but let me just mention three things as we end here. What might faithfulness look like? Be faithful to God by embracing his faithful love. The servant who buried his gold was apparently afraid of his master. It says he was fearful. It suggests that he has a very demented view of God. Right? A warped view of God. If you are afraid of God, then we really don't understand God's love for us. Faithful servants of God need to embrace the fact that we are deeply loved. It's crucial, it's critical. You will grow in faithfulness when you are filled with God's love. You don't need to come from good stock. It doesn't matter if your last name is Ikenawa, which means nothing in Japan. God doesn't care about that. One iota. Embrace God's love and his forgiveness. He died in our place so that we can have it, life in him, freely. He's freed you up. But now we have to embrace that love and the gift of life that he's given to us. Because if we're living in fear, that means we're still looking at me, myself, and I. 
We're not looking at how God thinks of us. We become miserable people and actually unproductive people for God when we live in fear and self-pity, right? The fearful person feels sorry for himself. But our life in God is about how God in us, it's about Christ in us. It's about the hope of glory. Come hell or high water, God is faithful, he is trustworthy in his love for you, and he wants you to embrace his love, live in his love and his grace again and again and again and again, right? We need to be fueled up by his grace, be charged up by his grace every single day. So embrace his faithful love, because when you do, you will become productive, productive. Be faithful to your church family. Did you know that the church is a gift to you? Even though it always, it's not always easy, because we're human beings, right? Galatians 6.10 says, do, let us do good to all people, okay? But then he says this, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Wow, that's interesting to me. Interesting. I think because they're your siblings, right? They're your family. Being faithful to God's church is not highly regarded right now. Let's be honest, okay? Church is on the back burner in people's lives. People live for themselves, and yet they call themselves Christians. Church attendance is not high among Christians today. Why? Probably because we don't value the church like God values the church. Did you know that God died for the church? God loves the church. He cares for the church. And so we are called to do the same, even when it's difficult. Let's not forget God loves his church family. Faithful servants love the body of Christ because Jesus loves the body of Christ. And then finally, be faithful in your witness. Our witness for Christ is sometimes associated with programs, and that's okay. I'm not against programs that we do for evangelism. But our witness begins where God places you in your world. And most of us are not capital M ministers, if you know what I mean, but you're small M ministers. And it begins right where you are. So where are you? You work somewhere? You live with your family? You go and play? You connect with people? Where you shop, you connect with people. You make connections all over the place, right? Your barber, your hairdresser, your massage therapist, whoever. So when we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, we have been for a long time, but um, you begin to see that the fruit of the Spirit, they, they all work together, right? And even though the fruit, for example, kindness and goodness is primarily about how you treat the body of Christ, 
they are also witness words, right? Do good to everyone. Be kind to everyone in your world. And so when you have connections with the people, ask the Lord, help me to be a faithful witness that I'm not going to shortcut. I'm not going to be a light that's under a bushel, as the Word of God says. But when we are like this, showing kindness and goodness, sorry, bury that thing, God uses us to be faithful witnesses in our world. And He begins with our character, right? And faithfulness trustworthiness is high on those charts. Because if we're not trustworthy, we kill our witness, right? We know that to be true. Well, let's pray. And we're going to worship the Lord in song as we prepare for communion. And uh, then we'll meditate on the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words Your faithfulness is just awesome. And help us to embrace this incredible gift of your son Jesus who is truly the faithful one. But then, as your people, you call us to be like you, to be faithful, to be trustworthy as you are. Because you want the world to know. You want the church to know how incredible you are that your name may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.